Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey everyone, I am so glad you are here, and not only glad you're here with me, but I'm really excited that you're here with my colleague and friend, Carol the Coach, and that's what she wants to be called, Carol the Coach, because she is Carol the Coach. But let me tell you who she really is. Carol Jurgensen Sheets is an LCSW, that means a social worker like me, a CSAT, a CCPS, and a PCC. She's been treating individuals and couples for over 37 years. That means that she and I are in the same world. She trains clinicians and coaches for the APATS. Carol, can you say that for me? APSATS, right? You got it. Okay. Thank you. And uh, which is uh, a partner focused uh, treatment program. And she believes that partner sensitive treatment enhances sexual addiction and compulsivity treatment. Her style assists couples in healing shame and pain of sexual addiction, compulsivity, and she uses post-traumatic growth to emphasize a client's strengths. Carol hosts, and this is the favorite, my favorite part, Carol the Coach, who is also Carol the Therapist. Carol the Coach hosts an international internet radio show and podcast on www.blogtalkradio.com and it's backslash sexhelpwithcarolthecoach.com. And she has over 300, which makes me look really small, 300 interviews with people in the field of sexual health, um, sexual addiction, sexual compulsivity and addiction. Welcome, Carol. Well, thank you very much, Rob. I too am really excited to be here with you because I see you as being the guru of all the things that are changing in the world right now around sex addiction. And I even teasingly tell people that you are the new Patrick Carnes. So I'm real happy to be here. Well, thank you. I, I want to say something about that just personally, because I love Pat Carnes and I adore his work and he made he made my life possible. So here's a thought for you, Carol. I think that Dr. Carnes has always written and always been incredibly focused on clinicians and therapists really learning their craft. And for me, I think my focus has always been on the general public. So I think Pat um, is my hero and my mentor, and I hope to bring the messages and information that he's been able to bring to us to the general public. So thank you for that. But you're just like me, Carol. You're out there all the time. Can, can I ask you real quick about your radio show before we get into other stuff? Because, you know, that's that's really become such a, a hot, interesting, engaging podcast. And can you tell me a little bit of the history and why you did it and, and who you've had on that has made a difference for you? 
You know, the interesting thing is I did radio in college and I had talk show shows on um, drive time radio here in Indianapolis. And so I've always had this affinity for disseminating information to the public. And so I did that for the longest time, got my coaching degree, and then went back to get my sexual addiction training. And at the end of that graduation, I said to everybody, guys, I'm going to start a podcast. I would love for all of you to get on my podcast, talk about what you're doing, talk about your philosophies, talk about your projects, and let's just disseminate information together. And not one person from my class raised their hand because people are afraid to talk on the radio or to Mm -hmm. talk on television. And you and I are both cut out of the same cloth. We love that. We like disseminating it, but we also like... We're educators. Yes. We are educators that love media and we want to use media to do that. And so I have the oldest podcast and it's got over a half a million downloads a week. I started my first week with 36 active listeners and the next month it grew to 3,000. And now it's been about six years and it's a half a million strong and and it's all over the world. Mm -hmm. And I just feel so lucky for three reasons. One, because I get to share information. Mm -hmm. Two, because I learn every week from an expert in the field. And, you know, that is invaluable in service for me. And then three, I want to help my colleagues, be it coaches or clinicians, get their word out there, even sometimes when I don't agree with them. Because what I know is that something will apply to everybody and you can always get a nugget, just like 12-step meetings. You can always get a nugget from the hour you listen to our show. I think you are, without doubt, Carol, the most enthusiastic person I know. Oh. <laughs> and I bet I bet just seven or eight years ago when you said, who wants to do a podcast? People said, pod what? Yeah. Because what made you think, I, I, just again, this is off topic, but what made you think that this was going to be a thing? Well, I knew working in radio that radio was already transitioning out and podcasts were starting to come in. Now, I did ha- I do have to tell you, I did see it in kind of a one-down situation because I like being on the air in people's cars and in their kitchens. And But what I grew to really appreciate is that you can listen to a podcast any time of the day or night if you download it to your computer or MP3 mm-hmm. player. And also, I was able to talk to people all over the world, even when they couldn't get accurate information. It was a way that they found out what a certified sexual addictions therapist does. It's just been an amazing opportunity. And I knew about it because I worked in radio to begin with. And podcasts were going to eventually shut down radio programming. Which is what's happening now. And I I have to say that um, when I got Apple CarPlay in my new car and I plugged it into my phone, uh, I got music and I got phone calls and I got maps. And there was this big button that said podcasts. And there was no button that said radio. It was very clear to me that I was being informed that this was the way to go. And so thank you for leading the way. And I know that you've had some amazing people along the process. Let me ask you this before we get into talking about clinical stuff or therapy type stuff. Is there anybody or any, or, or what are some things that you've heard from people that, or there are there any people or things you've heard that left you feeling like, wow, I want to play that podcast. I want to make sure everybody hears that one. 
Well, yes, absolutely. One of my favorite podcasts was from Pat Carnes himself. And one of the things that I did is I wrote or compiled this book on sexual addiction from the masters. And what it is, is it's a book that I put together from the masters. And then we donate all the money to AFAR, which is the American Federation of um, Research. And I really, really believe that with sexual addiction and partner trauma, we're not going to get as far as we need to go unless we have the research to substantiate what we know to be true. Yes. And so I told Rick Eisenberg, I said, you know, I'm going to compile this book. I'm going to donate everything. And he said, Carol, thank you so much. What can I do for you? And I said, get Dr. Carnes on my show. Mm. And so that's what the agreement was. And when Dr. Carnes came on the show, he basically said that the suffering that our sex addicts and our partners who experience that betrayal, that suffering is going to grow them exponentially. But it's not until they experience the connection of fellowship, of their therapist, of their family. And so connection is the antidote for sexual addiction. And that suffering is the precursor that actually starts post-traumatic growth. And so I love that because, of course, I'm a coach and I like to put a positive spin on everything. (laughs) And yet you and I both know we don't want to do that too soon because people are in such suffering and they're in so much pain and they don't want to think that what they're going through today is going to take them somewhere better because they're still reeling from how do I just get through the pain? The pain is the loss of hope in this person that I believed in, and I'm alone now once again. Right. Or the pain is the loss of the belief of self. You know, Mm -hmm. so many sex addicts really know that they have chosen a behavior that then became compulsive, which no longer they could choose. It was just chosen for them. And until they figured out the way to get out of that, they lost all hope in themselves. So you got partner trauma and you've got sex addict shame. And if they're married, that's a, that's a storm for disaster. And if, if you're not married, I really believe if you're not in relationship with somebody, it's even harder to do your work because it's all about you. You're doing it solely and only for you. You know, I think that's a really important point as we move into talking about healing, because when you're in a deep and enduring relationship and you've harmed that relationship, hopefully, if you're healthy enough to experience it, you're going to feel remorse at some point. And that deep pain that you feel about hurting, having hurt this person that you said you loved, that you felt you loved, um, that's very useful for us in being able to help someone grow. And if they don't have a connection, if they're just feeling badly about their own losses, I agree with you, it's not the same depth of learning that they might have. But those people also, maybe they don't know how to, how to have a relationship. And I actually find it fascinating. And, and I want to talk to us about some of the stuff that we want to talk about. But when I work with young men who've never been on a date, you know, they're 25, they've never been on a date. They don't know how to ask someone out. They don't know how to negotiate the world of getting to know someone. And that is a sad truth, but also, again, an opportunity to help somebody in some ways to learn to love. And that that is very exciting. 
Well, you're absolutely right. And of course, you and I have both worked with those young men that maybe they did ask somebody for a date. Maybe they even had two or three dates. But when it came to sexual performance, they couldn't perform Mm -hmm. because they had trained their brain to like something else. And then that sends them back into isolation, Mm -hmm. which continues that process of sexual addiction. Because we all know isolation is at the root of sexual addiction. Hey there, I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. Or call us at 747-234-4325. Well, you, I have to say, just to, just to speak briefly about this, you, you speak to the heart of my belief system, which it has to do with, I think, the word attachment, mm-hmm. and that it is within our relationships, within our pair bonds, within our communities that we find our healing. And, you know, you'll hear me write about this in Prodependence or talk about this. Carol and I are completely aligned, I think. And also, really, the, the, the thinkers of our day, like Brene Brown, or Esther Perel, or some of the really uh, Stan Tatkin, some of the big thinkers in psychotherapy are are talking about nothing else but the meaning of our connection. Mm-hmm. And I think also that we understand trauma better now that we look through it through a lens of attachment. We understand that the reason that I might struggle with sex and intimacy with my partner is because I never learned what intimacy was as a child. I never learned what being attended to was as a child. It's just not an experience that I've had. And so it also takes the moral sting out of it, I think, Carol, because we're not judging the people we're working with. We're saying you have a deficit and we can help you grow that deficit in a way that you can become more loving and more connected. So tell me about your couple's work, because that's really where your heart sings, I think. And I want to hear more about your thoughts about that. Well, you know, as as with anybody, we morph into whatever excites or jazzes us or whatever we may need personally or whatever falls in our laps. And I started out working with sex addicts um, back in 2007, and I really enjoyed that work. They were really getting better. Some of the work was prescriptive and other of the work was deep, deep clinical Uh, you know, attachment trauma work. And so it met all the needs. And what I discovered from working with sex addicts is that I don't ever want to work with a person in a vacuum. I just don't think that's helpful. And especially with addiction, since men and women who are addicts have that tendency to lie, minimize, rationalize, justify, they're lying to themselves. And whenever you pull somebody in, whether it be a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, or a partner, you get a better picture of what's really going on, both externally and internally. So I started bringing in the partners. And I have to tell you, I created this concept in my head where I said, you know, with the addicts, I'm working with their shame. But with the partners, I'm working with pure, unadulterated pain. And so I decided... I need to help the partners too. And so I would invite them in and they were so traumatized and activated and they didn't feel safe and they felt safe in my office. But when they went back out, 
they didn't feel so safe. And so I said, you know, I need specialized help. And that's when I went to APSATS. You know, my ITAP training that certified me to be a sexual addictions therapist was really on that cusp of they were treating partners and families, but they did it from a codependent model. They have since changed. And really, I'm just so pleased with the progress they've made. And, you know, again, they're evolving too. But APSATS was founded. I know she's been on your podcast, Barbara Steffens. Yeah. She was a partner herself and she wrote this book called My Sexually Addicted Spouse. And she was on my podcast And I thought, this is it. I think this is the organization that I need to go with. So Mm. I did go with that organization and learned what I needed to about trauma treatment and partner betrayal and early couples recovery work and loved it so much that within a year of graduating, I got to um, be on the board and within six months, I was helping to train. So that is how I evolved into partner betrayal. And then I just, I really believe that it's been a deficit area that more clinicians don't do early recovery couples work. And what that means initially is do crisis management with both individuals separately and together. I just want to say, I think I know why therapists didn't want to do that. And it's a, it's not due to any particularly solid theory. I think it has to do with how difficult it is for a therapist, unless they're extremely well-trained, to deal with a couple in their office who might be screaming and yelling, crying. And, you know, when these people are in our offices, they're in tremendous pain and anger and hurt, and it's very fresh. And I know my field. I know therapists. You know, not all of us are trained to manage acute conflict at at the really rough, raw edge of it. And I think that's what you're talking about in some sense, Carolyn. And it takes courage. I know you guys out there don't think necessarily of us therapists as being courageous. Maybe some of you do. You think, oh my God, how can you work with those people and go home at night? But listen, for us, some of the hardest part is trying to keep people connected in the room when they are so broken in terms of how they feel about each other. And this is the kind of courageous act that I think you're talking about taking on with couples. Well, absolutely. And I come from a place where I teach couples in general, not necessarily just the sexual addiction community. I teach them that in in healthy relationships, conflict breeds intimacy. And yet what we're dealing with in sexual addiction and partner betrayal is the most unhealthiest, the greatest refracturing that could occur in a relationship. And so what I want to do is help them to begin to build a foundation of safety because for partners, they need safety and stabilization to start working through their grief and mourning that and then restore their relationship. And for sex addicts, here's here's an interesting situation and we'll see if it fits into your book, Rob, because I'm writing a book right now on empathy for sex addicts. Mm -hmm. And what I believe to be true is in that early couples recovery work, once recovery has been established and certain, oh, certain procedures have occurred like a full disclosure, some polygraphs, whatever, then you can begin to work on empathy whereby the addict learns how to acknowledge the issues, validate the feelings, and reassure the partner 
that he or she has his or her back. Um, And now that sounds kind of, it may not even be her back, but understands the pain that's been caused. And when that empathy can begin to form, the restoration of the relationship occurs, and believe it or not, the sex addict feels better about himself. He's been able to right a little bit of the wrong that has occurred in their history. And so that is incredibly empowering, and the couple does better, both people do better, and we see a healthier system. You sound so moved when you talk about the the moments when you can bring light to these couples. And, um, you know, listening to you is moving. It reminds me of doing my early work. At, you know, I, I, I was doing this work in the early 90s in residential treatment with Pat Carnes when he was f- sort of first starting out. And I remember the joy of the work and no one could understand why working with someone who has some kind of sexual problem could be joyful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I got what you said earlier, Carol, which is these people move very quickly in therapy. A lot of times what the kinds of clients that many of us see are depressed for long periods of time or they have lifelong problems with psychosis or deep mental disorders. But this particular population, because they are have so much shame, because they have hidden so much, because they've lived in secrecy and isolation for so long, that when they start opening their mouths and we push them to keep talking and then we give them a little bit of hope, it's amazing how quickly they can turn into healthy people, at least for a moment or two. And that's a joy. And I would imagine you get to see couples, even in their most painful moments, there might be a look across the room where you see the love is still there. Absolutely. And then I instill that hope that eventually as they get healthier, that conflict really will bring intimacy and that they can count on that. So, you know, you were talking about Esther Perel earlier, and I have this quote, and it's all over the internet, and it's, the addict carries the shame, but the partner carries the pain. Mm -hmm. Esther just did a TED Talk on the new scarlet letter S, and that's shame for the partner. And the shame that the partner feels is deep down inside, he or she is wondering, wow, am I really doing the right thing? Should I be staying with this person? What am I teaching my children? You know, I remember Hillary Clinton getting all that feedback of what are you teaching your daughter to stay with an active sex addict? Now, A, we don't know that he was an active sex addict. We don't know. Well, a cheater, a cheater, just a cheater. That's good enough for that, that moment. Yeah, a cheater. And so that's the shame a partner may carry. And so I want to give them a little extra light and hope that says, if you want to stay with this person, let's work it because there is hope for you. And that shame will get better once you are back together and strong and resilient. You know, I, I, you mentioned Prodependence and I, uh, the book that I have coming yeah. out, and it, it actually is much more focused on partners of all addicts. And I'm really not that interested in this book. I've written eight books on addicts. So I wanted to write a book that's just about partners. And, you know, I, I, I have such great empathy for a population that I didn't understand. You know, I, I, I've been in this field actively practicing with sex addicts for 27 years. And I was in the field. I watched it happen. You know, for years, we said to partners, and this is how I I think the transition works. And I I just want to see if you agree with this. But at one time, we looked at addicts and we said, okay, and this is in pro-dependence. I kind of wrote about this is what addicts need. You know, they are in denial about their problem. They don't understand the depth of it. They don't understand the meaning of it. They don't understand what they're doing and how it's hurting people. So we, in treatment, we confront them about their distortions. 
we bring them back into reality as everyone else sees it but them. And then they often get despairing. And then we start to offer them hope and skill sets toward behavior change because now they're motivated. And there was a time in the treatment field where we said, okay, partners are in denial. They don't see how bad this problem is. And they're doing all these crazy behaviors, just like the addict, the addict sexual acting out. The partner is doing all this detective work and all this, all this searching through everything and asking questions endlessly. And that's their addictive problem. And then we need, need to just confront them and stop them from doing that. In other words, we were following the exact same model as we used with addicts for partners, only we added a nasty name to it, codependent. And then we said, oh, and by the way, this is what's wrong wrong with you and you'll and you'll have this problem for life. And what is worse than telling someone at one of their moments of great greatest crisis and loss that they have something wrong with them. Anyway, so where the field moved was and I think the big big uh phrase for this move is betrayal trauma. It's the idea that wait a minute, maybe this person isn't acting this way because that's how they grew up or that's who you know what their own issues are or because they're addicted to their spouse maybe they're just a healthy person who loved someone and then that love turned out led them down a road where their life fell apart and now they're reacting to the incredible pain and loss and suffering and trauma of betrayal that they're experiencing and i think that turn which happened around 2000 2002, somewhere in there, led to everything that you're talking about, which is we now understand and see partners as more in a reactive position, which they can learn from, but nonetheless, they need a lot of support. And certainly they never, under any circumstances, need to be blamed or given responsibility for someone else's acting out. And, and let me ask you this, Carol, because this, this is, now I got my passion up. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I got my passion up. You got to watch out. Okay. Um, Bring it on. I hear so many partners say to me, you know, I don't want to get too angry at him or her because I know that maybe they'll act out again. Maybe I should have a lot of sex with them now because maybe then they'll stay or they won't do whatever Absolutely. they're going to do. And, and underlying all of that is this idea, which I just have to, which is the reason I wrote Prodependence, is that if you're a partner of an addict or an alcoholic, you are never, ever responsible for their behavior. You know, I don't understand how that even got into the culture. You know, if you and I are married, Carol, and I make you miserable, and I probably would, and I gain 500 pounds and I don't pay any attention to you and we never have sex and I'm lying around all day drooling. There are so many choices you can make in life other than going and starting to become a drug addict or having sex with 100 people. You could get a divorce. You could uh, take up a hobby. You could help other people. You could. We could go into counseling. For some reason, addicts think, okay, well, the only solution to my unhappiness is that I need to go use or act out and I will blame my partner for it because that's how I can justify it. But how we got to, how did we get to the point where partners would seen as having any responsibility? I mean, a partner can be responsible for making someone miserable for sure. Uh -huh. I have a spouse. I can be miserable, <laughs> believe me. Right. But, but no one can make me act out in any way. That is my choice. So this is one of my great passions is I don't understand why any partner of any addict would ever feel that they are responsible for that person's drinking, using, sexing, gambling, gaming. That's a choice that that person made all on their own. So that's where I get passion. I don't understand, and maybe you can help me, how partners get caught up in, in believing that they're somehow at fault. Well, and what I know to be true is that there are probably lots of reasons for, for that, but truly Alcoholics Anonymous really put a spin on 
partners of alcoholics that said, you do your side of the street, I'll do mine, you're a co-addict, you're codependent. So they started that movement and they they did the best they could. You know, we always- There were good intentions there. Exactly. And so I believe that has really blossomed into a lot of partners feeling like they contributed to this problem. And the truth of the reality is, is just like you said, in any coupleship, there are issues that both people either contribute towards in a good way or contaminate and cause. But sexual addiction is not one of them because of the many other choices. And so a lot of times I'll spend time with the couple and the partner explaining how that behavior occurred early on in his or her development and it became compulsive and that he or she kept that from the partner and that that is one of the greatest reasons she is not responsible. She didn't know it was going on. He wasn't coming home drunk with sex. He was hiding his sex. And so I'm just so glad that we're in a movement that is really changing that all the way around. And as clinicians, I think we need to educate the partner on what sex addiction is really all about and how that could have developed so early on. You, you know, you and I both know that compulsivity can occur based on the behaviors that you participated in, or it could have occurred from trauma reenactment from your own childhood. And so I, I know that I was looking out windows and counting cars and living in fantasy when I was three, when my parents are screaming at each other in the next room, I had to find a place to go where I could feel safe and I could feel good and I could feel important and like I knew things. And so the, the concept of using fantasy and anticipation and going somewhere else, it's like dissociation, only not quite as good. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of using exciting, self-rewarding fantasy to escape pain happens really early in life. And I completely understand that a kid who is going through books and TV and online anywhere to escape the pain they're growing up with is going to look for escapes from pain when they become an adult. I mean, that's just simple math. And that's not a spouse's fault. And it is the responsibility of the adult, but it is not their fault. So we're crossing lines, Carol, that just the culture doesn't agree with because, you know, the culture really likes black and white, good guy, bad guy, um, right and wrong. And everything we talk about is shades of gray. It's very difficult, I think, for us to do what we do and get it across to people because an angry person wants to say, you're the bad guy. And a person's in trouble wants to say, it's not my fault. And, and in between, all of that is the truth. So, Carol, you know, one of the things I wrote about in Prodependence has really struck me that I wanted to run by you. And I have a, it's, a, it's a meaningful question that if we're on the phone, I would ask you. You know, when we talk about the stages of grief, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and we go through, you know, anger and denial and acceptance and all those stages that have become part of pop culture. One of the things that she doesn't talk about and that I feel so strongly about is the issue of remorse. Because I know when someone dies or even when my pet passes away, you know, or even if I lose a plant that is special to me, I'm going to say something to myself like, gosh, should I have watered that more? Or should I, or if someone dies, you know, well, should I have said this? Or oh, gosh, I wish we'd said that. Or if we, oh, we'd only had that moment together. Or it seems to be a natural part of grief yeah. that we look back on our experience and we say, could I have done it differently? 
And it seems to me that that, if that is true, then every spouse we see is already blaming themselves on some level when they come in for treatment because they already feel remorse about the grief that they're in. And they're thinking, well, if I'd been younger, sexier, prettier, whatever, even if they won't say it, there's almost always an unconscious sense of I am responsible for some of this. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about that, uh, about the concept of remorse for a spouse? Yes, I'm a big believer in regret and remorse as being part of that cycle. And so that's some of the easier work that I will do with an addict who also is feeling remorse or regret and the partner for not feeling good enough. And that is, you know, I give them I give them assignments like come up with 50 personality strengths that are positive that describe who you are. And, you know, they'll go 50 and they'll they'll be lucky to get. Yeah, I'm thinking 50. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, but there are, you know, so I get I say, okay, let's do three. They do three. And then I double that because obviously there are so many strengths that walk into my office when a client walks Mm -hmm. in. And then I say, you have to do 35 total and then ask other people to give you the last 15. And what they find is they are persistent. They are resilient. They are determined. They are generous. They are loving. They are compassionate. They are curious. And they go into all those strengths and it begins to build a sense of, you know what? I may have been 20 pounds overweight, or I may have been working with the kids too much but I still am this person that deserves honesty, truth, and love. Yes. And that's what we then have the partner focus on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one and the only Carol, the coach. Hey, Carol, tell me, if you would, please, how people can find you, get a hold of you, ask questions, find your content. Um, What are the best ways for them to reach you? Well, if I may, I want to say that obviously you can always email me at Carol at carolthecoach.com. I have two different websites. One is if you want to actualize your potential, that's carolthecoach.com. You can contact me through that website. And then I have the other website, which is Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Not to be ignored or missed, I have three avenues that I would love for clinicians, coaches, and listeners to go and visit. And one is my YouTube series. I have over 100 YouTubes for partners, sex addicts, and couples. They're anywhere from 8 to 10 minutes long, and they just give you bullet points of things to think about. And then, of course, I do have my blogtalkradio.com forward slash sex help with Carol the coach site, and you can download all those shows. I think now, Rob, I have over 400 shows. I know I wrote my bio in 2017. And then last but not least, I just started in June specifically for partners and for AppSats as a special donation to them. I started a program called Betrayal Recovery Radio, and that is specifically for partners. And so that's on at two o'clock on Thursday, Eastern Standard Time. But again, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash betrayal recovery radio, and that will get you partner information if you're listening to the show. Carol, you are a gift to the field. I truly mean that. And I have great, great respect for you. I hope that I can grab eight or 10 minutes of you to do a lecture or webinar on our site and just tell the partners that you're there and that you support them because you are a rock star. Thank you for doing the show. Thank you, Rob. You too. Back at you. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com 
www.thepatchworkshop.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chemsex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.